what we perceive, what we've been taught in the past. And if you go to uh, the Greek, um, for one, just know that there are 400 references in the Bible in regards to joy, 400 references. Uh, the Old Testament uh, Hebrew uh, uses the word, I think, as shimlek, uh, which uh, is pretty self-explanatory. It means basically exceeding joy. Uh, but in the Greek, the word is charis, charis, which in our language would be, or in our uh, alphabet would be C-H-A-R-I-S. That's where you get the word charisma, charismatic, all comes from that word charis. The root of it, car, K, or X-A-R, um, is defined favor. The word charis is defined as exceeding favor. Abundant favor. And, and, and actually the word grace throughout the New Testament is also based on the word chorus. So if you look at all that together, you'll look that, that joy is not happiness. Because it's interesting, throughout the scriptures, God never promises us happiness. He never talks about our happiness. He always talks about our joy. And in fact, joy is commanded of us. That we should be joyful, that we should be exceedingly joyful. Because we need to understand that this, this nuance of grace is an undercurrent, but also this unmerited favor, this, this unexpected favor, exceeding favor, is what God is trying to show us each and every day of our lives. So joy then is, is a byproduct. It is our response, our reflex to the things that he does for us that we don't deserve the things that illustrate his favor of us. And so favor is something very unique. Jesus, by, by celebrating him at Christmas, we're saying that Jesus is the gift of joy that we do not deserve, but he gave it to us because of his favor, because he favors us. And therefore, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't hesitate at Christmas time, at least at Christmas time, to thank him and to have joy because of that favor and because of the redemptive work he's done for each of us through that manger in Bethlehem. But the reality is we're not joyful. We're not exceedingly filled with joy. When we sing, we sing as if we're tired. We sing as if we know that we can't carry a tune in a bucket. We, we sing as if it's a burden for us, and we just like, please, get through the songs, get to the good stuff, you know, or, or, which is basically the closing prayer. Um, but, but we don't have exceeding joy, exceedingly, we're not, we're not overwhelmed with joy. And, and that has troubled me in my own life, and I hope it troubles you in your life. But, you know, for some reason, we, we, we ponder joy in one hand, but in the other hand, we ponder the things that cause us not to be joyful. You know, how many of us have been through a divorce? How many of us are, are in pain and, and exceeding pain and, and are finding it hard to keep your focus on the things that are holy, righteous, and just? Uh, how many of us have gone through heartache? A, a girl breaks up with you, a boy breaks up with you, and, and you just feel like you can't get out of bed the next morning. Or you get fired from your job or you don't have a paycheck significant enough to cover all your bills. And, and you have people that hate you, people that are always, you know, cussing at you when they see you. And, um, and then when you leave church, you know, it gets even worse. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
But we all, when it comes to joy, we all have a tendency to focus on the negatives, the things that we don't like, the things we're not pleased with, the things that seem like they're against us instead of the things that show that we're favored by God. But you know, uh, the verse, and, and the last night, I mean, my arm was just throbbing, throbbing. It, it's a gout pain. It's okay. So it feels like I have poison from here all the way to my fingertips, and it just is constant pain. It doesn't go away. Although right now, it's not here. It's gone. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. But uh, I'm still kind of afraid to bend my arm. But anyway, um, when you're sitting in your office trying to do a, put together a message, piece together a study on joy, and you have this pain that is so intense and it's constant, it doesn't even fade out at all, and no medication can help it, you're like, Lord, I can't do this. And then the Lord reminds me, I can't remember exactly the scriptures, because one of the things is I couldn't write. So I'm reading all these verses knowing I can't write them down to remember them later. So uh, the, the address has escaped me. But the, voice says, or the, the verse says something like this, that we should have joy even in the midst of our suffering. We should have joy. And so that was my job last night, is to figure out, okay, how can I still be joyful in the midst of my pain? How can I be joyful when there's frustration in me? And dissatisfaction in me. And so I've been working at it all night. And um, I came across this interesting passage in Luke chapter 10. And it kind of spoke to me in regards to joy. Now we have to keep in mind that Jesus is the gift of joy, right? At Christmas time, he is our gift of joy. But did you know that Jesus also has the capacity to have joy? There's things that we can do in this world that would provoke joy, even in our our Lord. It's right here in the scriptures. It it, it tells us in verse 17, and this is a long chapter, uh, but it tells us at this point of the chapter that there were 72 that he had sent out in his name to, we'll go back to verse 1. It says, 72 were sent two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of a harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you go into their home, speak peace to them. But, but basically, he has given them the power, the authority, to tread on demons, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. To pray for those who are discouraged. To give joy to those who have none. That was their mission. And they were supposed to go out before him so that when he got to those towns, they were already having revival before he even arrived. That was the goal. So in 17 it says, the 72, after they had been sent, returned with joy. They had joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Isn't that crazy? So here, just bear with me for a minute because you have to understand how my simple mind works. I see 72 people that have joy. I want to know how they got it. The way they got it is by being sent and going and doing the things they were told to do. And they had joy because they saw things actually happening. Lives were being changed. Demons were fleeing People were being healed. People were being prayed for. And they were finding Christ. And that produced joy in them. Interesting. 
Now, now also, just understand, this is the pastoral side of me. 72 people were sent. How many went? If 72 were sent, how many of them went? 72, right? So in other words, everyone who was sent went. They didn't make excuses. They didn't say, oh, I can't today because I'm doing this, or I have this going on with the family, or, or this celebration going on. I can't do it. Every one of them went. They followed the instructions that were given to them. They did what they were asked to do. No one hesitated. And as they went out, they did the very things they were asked to do. They prayed, they, they healed, they, they delivered. And, and when they came back, they found Jesus and they were filled with joy because, Lord, even the demons submit to us. In other words, you've given us the authority, but we've seen it come to fruition. It's actually happened in our lives. That produces joy. So, now bear with me again. If you want joy in your life, is it going to happen by staying at home and watching TV? Or is it going to happen by going and doing the very things that Christ has commanded you to do? Not a trick question, right? It seems pretty simple to me, right? If we want to experience the same things that the 72, we have to do the same things that the 72 did. And just out of curiosity, how many of you cast out a demon this week? How many of you healed somebody this week? How many of you prayed over another person that, was, that, that found Christ and now is ready for baptism? Do you see the problem? We haven't done it. But, but it gets juicier. It gets better. So bear with me here. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. This is troubling. Don't rejoice in what you've done. Rejoice in who you are. You are children of the living God. You have been set apart for his purposes. You have received his grace. You've heard his call for salvation. You embraced it. You walked through the fires of redemption. You've been baptized in the water of repentance. And you are a child of God. And when you're... When you're a child of God, that doesn't mean you have to wait until you die for eternal life to kick in. That means that you're already living in eternal life. Your life should already be changed. Your, your repentance precipitated a change in you that you are now a new creation. You're not the same old person. If you are the same old person, then the redemption didn't take, it, something didn't work. But you are children of God, and that is what you should rejoice in. Your, your connection to the Father, your heirs to his heavenly kingdom. You are children of God. Jesus died for you that you would know him, that you would know the Father. 
But are you rejoicing because of your relationship to the Lord? Does that move you? Does that keep you at night when you just lay in bed and you're thinking, I just can't believe this. The very God who hung the moon, the sun, the stars also hung me in this world. He blessed me in this world. He brought me into this world with the same perfection that he carved out the Grand Canyon or your favorite beach in Hawaii or whatever or Puerto Rico. With the same hands that he did that, he crafted you in his image. Different, but in his image with absolute, total perfection. Do you lay in bed and you think to yourself, wow, he really did a great work in me. I am so good looking because of what God has done, right? Something like that. But then check this out. After saying this to these disciples, these 72, it says that at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. He was filled with joy. Because he saw the joy in his disciples. And I started thinking about that. You know, what would it take to really make me joyful? Apart from my own relationship to the Lord, which I do find joy and delight in that. But what is a pastor, what, what, could, what would it take to make me joyful every time I come to the office? Or every time I come on a Sunday morning, what would make me joyful? I think it's the exact same things that Jesus experienced. When you all come back reporting from your, your, your assignments, your duties, and you come back and you say, Darren, you would not guess what just happened. I, I prayed with somebody at Walmart and, and they became a Christian right there on the spot. And now they're going to be baptized. Or, or um, let me tell you this one. This is a good story. This is good stuff. Young couple come in having all kinds of problems, issues. They're, they're stressed. They don't necessarily, they've got some element of faith as a foundation, but very little, not practicing really very much. But, but, but um, they come to me. I, I give them some encouragement in the midst of their, their, their mental health concerns and physical concerns. And, and I said, okay, this is what God's going to do for you if you want to continue to meet with me. This is what you can expect God to do for you. All right? Laid it out just like that. About four or five hours later, I get a call. You would not guess what just happened. We were at Walmart scrounging up our last dollars in order to get some food because we have nothing at home. And, and we, we had stuff in the basket that totaled how much money we had to the penny. And we were ready to check out. We were going through the checkout. And these two ladies walked up to us and said, we want to buy your groceries today. God has told us that somebody has been praying for you and we want to bless you. We want to fulfill that prayer for you and we would like for you to let us pray over you. And the couple's like, go for it. <laughs> well, we're not going to stand in the way. If you want to buy our groceries, you go right ahead. So the ladies did that. And immediately they called me up to say, guess what God just did? Now that stuff is what brings me joy. That's good stuff. You know, I, I hesitate to do this, but, uh, but sometimes, you know, stuff happens and you notice it. As I'll get to it in a minute, it, it, there's, there's things that you see God doing that he wants us to see it also. 
so, so that's what develops this joy. We see God moving, and then we jump on and we say, yes, we want to see what you're seeing. We want to do what you're doing, right? And so I think it's interesting. I think it's amazing. When I first came here, uh, every time we would take up offering or communion, it was almost like the people that did the prayers had written it out word for word. And, and this was kind of frustrating to me. I'm like, come on, you've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years. You don't need to write it down. And you certainly don't need to pray the same prayer every time, right? But I'm telling you something. Gabe's prayers are coming to life. He's coming to life. When he prays, God talks through him now. I I didn't notice that before, but when he prays, I'm like, God's talking to him. God's talking through him. That gives me joy. When when there were people like you would see them maybe once every six months for church and then all of a sudden they start coming every week. That's amazing to me. Junior is amazing to me. That that God is working in him and he's not resisting. He's like, I'm all in. If God wants to do something, I'm all in. Do it, Lord. That gives me joy. When when, when people um, are blessed with a little extra money, that they weren't expecting. And even though they need it, they, they, they remember faith promises and, and that we're trying to generate money for, for missionaries all over the world. Oh, you know, $26,000 have already been raised. But when you come and you tell me, look, God gave me some money and I just passed it on to the missionaries. That does me joy. There's just, there's so much, but we have to look for it. We have to, we have to expect it. So, so let me get into some other things here. It says in 22, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, blessed are the eyes that have that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings want to see what you see, but they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Let me give you a better verse to help us understand that. In John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, My father is always at work at this very day, and too, I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. But we go down a little bit further. He says in verse 19, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he pleases or whom he is pleased to give it. Basically, you can read this whole passage and, and the, the, the whole concept is that God is at work in everybody's life to some degree. He's at work in our circumstances. He's at work in our workplaces. He's at work in our church. And, and what Jesus is saying is, is that when he prays, he has he is taught himself or he is, he's able to connect himself to God in such a way that when he prays, God shows him what he is up to, what he's doing in, some, in somebody's life. All right, so, so when, when Jesus sees what God is doing, then he just goes through and he does what God is doing. 
So, for example, you know, you could be in church and, 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 and you prayerfully uh, will say, we'll say Eric keeps coming to your mind. Every time you pray, Eric's face comes to your mind. And, and then you say, okay, God, why are you showing me Eric's face? And, and God will show you that there's like something happening in him. And, and so you're like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to go and to pray for him. I want you to go and to make his joy complete, which is also used 12 times in the scriptures, to make your joy complete. Or, or maybe you'll be praying and, and somebody, God will reveal to you a family that, that you think are in great shape, but God reveals to you this family struggling financially. And, and even though Christmas is coming two days away, they don't have any food to feed their kids for Christmas. And so you'll be praying like, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, give them some food. Go to Walmart, get them a gift card, do something, and then take it to them. This works. This actually happens if you pray expecting this to happen. Lord, show me someone who you're working in. Show me someone who needs the the prayers that I have to give or the attention that I have to give or the service that I have to to give. And God will show you places. People's faces. He'll show you places. He'll show you homes. Have you ever been on a prayer walk before? That's where you're just walking down the street and you're like, okay, God, show me what you want me to do. Show me where you want me to go. I told you a story. I had a whole youth group in downtown Cleveland. It was in the middle of November. It was cold out. And, and so we were looking for a place to, to eat lunch. And I said, okay, guys, we can't find anything that's open on a Saturday. But uh, we're going to pray that God just guides us. And so we prayed. We got to every corner and we prayed, Lord, do we go left, right, or straight? And then mutually we came to consensus. Let's go straight. Let's turn right. So we did that. We meandered our ways around. And then there was this guy who was homeless who was sleeping in a cardboard box next to a Walgreens. And everybody stopped. God's telling us we need to do something about this. What do you think we ought to do, guys? You know, knowing there's a Walgreens right here. So they go in there and they buy him bottles of water, they buy him food, they buy him uh, sunglasses, a blanket, all kinds of stuff that they believe this person is going to need. And then we go out and, and we give these gifts and they're all blessed. And then they look at me collectively and say, we're not hungry now. Maybe we should just make our way back to the civic center. And so we go down the civic center. We forget to start praying, you know, left or right, straight, whatever. We're just headed back to the civic center. But we go down this one particular street, and there's this restaurant open. Not a person in the entire place. We get in there. Every one of us eat. There were 40 of us. Every one of us ate in 30 minutes. And we were able to get to the civic center perfectly in time. But that was a lesson that everybody learned. This is how our day is supposed to be every day. We come to the Lord. We pray not so much for ourselves, but we pray, Lord, what do you want to show me? How do you want to teach me? What do you want to do in me? How do you need to develop my faith? And then what God is doing, he will show it to you. And then he invites you to participate. God wants us to get our hands dirty doing ministry. Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. We're all supposed to be doing something. And if your faith is boring, if you find church attendance is boring and unfulfilling, you're probably doing it wrong. 
And if we as a church would just get on fire for this and start praying with expectation, I'm telling you, not only will I be filled with joy, but you will as well. We have an amazing God. So I'm hesitating because God's showing me some things and he's trying to tell me some things and I'm trying to tell God no. Um, Basically, God wants me to tell you this. There's three different things. For those who don't have faith in God, who you know that you are not saved, you know that if you were to die today, you probably wouldn't go to heaven. You probably wouldn't make it. And, and, and so you have discouragement in your life because of it. And so I'm supposed to tell you, repentance. Repentance is how you change that. Remember, don't, don't celebrate. Don't have joy. Don't rejoice because of what you've done. Rejoice because your name is in the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. That is what will produce joy in you foremost, is knowing that you're in good standing with God, that Jesus is in your heart, and that you are set apart for a purpose. So to find Jesus, you must repent of your sin and accept his blood that has been shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Just accept it and and tell God, thank you for what you've done for me because I am a sinner. I am messed up. I need your grace. And I want to, to spend my eternity with you. And so if you're in that boat, I encourage you today on Christmas to, to allow Christ into your life, to repent of your sin, and then, hey, we got water ready to go. We got towels back here. If you want to get baptized today, we'll hook you up. Or if you want to wait till next week so you can bring a change of clothes, that's up to you. But we, we want you to be hooked up. We want you to be good to go. We don't want you stressing about this. The other thing God wants me to tell you is that there's another group of people that your faith is flat. It just doesn't mean much to you. If somebody were to say, are you a Christian? You'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But, but you know, if we started really digging, how much you know about the Bible? Zip. How, much, uh, how often do you go to church? Uh, frequent, infrequent. <laughs> uh, how much do you believe? I don't know. Um, maybe it's time to step it up a little bit. Because if, you're, if you're, your faith is boring to you, if your walk with the Lord is boring, you're doing it wrong. I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong. Instead, repent of that. Repent of allowing yourself to become complacent. Repent that you have not given him your whole heart. Repent that you have allowed your faith to become dead. And ask Christ back into your life to breathe new life inside of you, to redeem you all over again, to, 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 to restore you in what once was a healthy relationship. Pray for that. Because if you don't have joy in your life, man, you're just a boring Christian. You've got to have some joy. It's like a campfire with no flame. You can't roast marshmallows, right? You know, you've got to have at least a spark in there, right? The third category are those who are, are solid Christians. You're, you, you love the Lord. You know your Bible, but you're just not practicing what you're reading. Um, repent of that. Repent that you have settled for less than the ideal situation. Repent that you have not allowed God to do his best work through you. Repent that you have shut the faucet off because you don't want any more Holy Spirit working through you. 
which means that you're not viable to anyone who is lost in this world. You're not viable to anyone who's broken. Your, your daughter calls you up and says, Daddy, my, my marriage is falling apart. And you're like, oh, well, you better go to counselor because I have nothing to offer you. You know, that's what it looks like. That's what it feels like if you've ever been there. God wants you to be viable to people. He wants you to, to, to be excited to help others. He wants you to have answers for their problems. He wants you to love people above all else. And for all of us, he wants us to pray with, with intent that God's going to show you where to go, what to do, and how to do it, and that God's going to do an amazing work in you. If no other reason than this, because that brings joy to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, may today be an amazing day of worship, of rest, of, of drawing near to you. May it be